Last week, we looked at Philippians chapter 4. I just want to read one of those verses once again to demonstrate why we're going into the topic of prayer today. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation... But in any and every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Pray in every circumstance. Pray in every situation. What, what is prayer? Today's title for the sermon, I gave, I said just simply, Prayer 101. No matter how often you pray, the kids all said they prayed today, and I fully believe them. And I think sometimes children might even put us to shame as adults by, by their, their prayer life in terms of the frequency of it. And as a pastor, I know that just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I never neglect prayer. And I need to, be, uh, to, to come back to the basics from time to time. But especially during the difficult days of the pandemic that we are enduring. So when we pray... What is it exactly that we are doing? And, and what is in your mind's eye about, I, I'm, I'm saying words, I'm, I'm here by myself somewhere, and I'm, I'm uttering this, these words to the God of heaven. What do you think about? How, how does that situation kind of play out? And this is why I'm starting this way today. Prayer is like the horizon. It connects heaven and earth. Christ made this connection available, prayer activates it. So we are, we are, we are plugging in to what God has given us when we pray. We, we, are, we are taking advantage of the opportunity that we have and even responsibility to come to God in prayer. So what should prayer look like? What should it sound like? What words should we use? What, what topics should we cover and discuss? And Jesus gave a very basic answer to that question in what we now call the Lord's Prayer. So this is a, obviously very familiar to us. I think I can say quite safely without doing any research whatsoever that this prayer is said more often than any other prayer on the planet throughout history since since at least the Bible was available to the public, and probably before that, at some point the church taught people to, to, to memorize this prayer. <clears throat> this prayer is said by millions of billions or millions or billions of people every day, I'm quite sure. In churches like ours, we pray it. People pray it very robotically, maybe even empty, maybe even their minds are someone else, somewhere else, but their lips are just. <clears throat> saying the prayer. Others pray very passionately, and, and every word of that prayer is, is, is precious to them, and, and they believe that God is hearing them and will indeed carry through the essence of this prayer in their lives, in their church, in their family, in their community. And God knows the difference between those that are just mouthing the words and those that are uttering from their hearts. So I'm going to look at this prayer today, line by line. If you have an outline and you take notes, you'll notice it, it just has this laid out for you. So jot down something you think of or something that stands out from, from what the Lord leads me to say. But let's learn that much more about prayer. And what I want us to see here today 
beyond the reminder about the basic aspects of the Lord's Prayer, is also the, something kind of deeper here. And that is heaven and earth. And, and, and bridging that connection between heaven and earth. And that's what Jesus is also getting across here. So it begins, of course, with our Father in heaven. From the opening words, we see a couple of things. Well, first of all, our is a shared experience. Now, certainly we can pray by ourselves and should pray by ourselves. But in other words, it's not just my God, it is our God. You, you, are, you are expressing these words and, and, and the, the desires of your heart to God that is for all of us. It's our Father. And that second word is important. Of all of the ways that Jesus could have chosen to instruct us to address God, he chose the word Father. So right away, if you're thinking, I'm praying to this distant God somewhere in heaven across the universe and believe in faith that from here to there across all those galaxies, God hears me. But then when you use the word Father, all of a sudden he gets a lot closer right away. All of a sudden, you mean God is relational? You mean God is intimate? You mean God is authoritative? You mean God is protective? All of the ways that we think of the word Father in the best possible ways of the word Father, and granted there are many peoples whose definition or life experience with Father is not always good. In fact, sometimes very painful. The Father that that abused, the father that was absent, the father that was distant, the father that was demanding. All of those, those negative aspects of the human nature that enter into fatherhood can come out when we think about God as father. But try and separate yourself from that and think about God as the best father there could be. And, and, but God wants to be relational with us. So it is Father in heaven. So right away we see in that first line, we see heaven and earth. Father is a very earthly word, a good word in the earth. Heaven is where God is, and yet we see more than that. We see Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, a word that basically means holy. Holy, try to describe that. Perfect, pure, unapproachable, indescribable. What is holy? You, you, you can't really describe it. And so that, may, that by itself kind of keeps God distant once again. I'm praying to the holy and hallowed God. I don't know what that means, and I'm sure not that. But then it says, holy be your name. Well, name means that even though God is holy and indescribable, he wants us to connect. Now, there is no name for God in the sense of other gods throughout history, throughout the world today, have a name of some kind. We use the word G-O-D to describe God. But really, there is no word in our or any other language 
that is sufficient to contain and understand what God is and who God is. But there are a whole lot of descriptors that we can and should use to help us make that connection. The one obviously already mentioned being Father, but God is also, um, God is, is, is protector, God is king, God is, um, is, is friend, it says, friend of God. So, so we can have many different aspects of God that are all true, but God isn't just that. God is creator, but he's not just creator. God is father, but not just father. He is Lord, not just Lord. He is king, not just king. So we have these words. So his name, even though we can't narrow it down to one word, we get the idea that he is approachable through a whole variety of titles, I guess is the best way of saying it, that we see throughout the Bible that we can connect with God. A lot of you do pray. When you pray, you begin to say Father or Father in Heaven or Father God. And that's a good one, and that's fine. There are others. We might say, Dear Lord. We might say, um, you know, Maker of Heaven and Earth. All of those are true. But they're all ways of, of naming God in a whole variety of ways so the distant and holy God, again, comes closer. Heaven and Earth coming together. Your kingdom come. When you think of the word kingdom, well, what is the purpose of a kingdom? What is the goal of a kingdom in, in, the, in the best possible sense? It is to provide safety and security and to provide, well, to give provision, to have provision, food and, and jobs and houses and all those things. So let me kind of say that again. The two things that a kingdom does is protect and provide. That's really all it is. Now, there is a whole lot of complexity underneath both of those words in how you protect, not just protect the borders, but protect within the borders from one another. So we you know, treat one another fairly. And when someone doesn't, there's, there's a justice system set up to, to make sure that they are duly punished for that. So that can be kind of complicated. And then provision, make sure everyone has food on the table and a, house, a roof over their head and, and heat at night on a cold night like last night. And, you know, the basic provisions of life. And how do we make sure that everyone has a, a fair, fair access to all of those things that we need? That, of course, is very controversial and debated, and yet that's the purpose of kingdom, of government, is to protect and provide. So when we say, your kingdom come, we're calling out to God to bring his ways into our communities, into our nations, into our world. Your kingdom come into my circumstance. And then more than that, your will be done there. God's will is one of the most misunderstood and I think misused and abused aspects of scripture sometimes, like the will of God. Well, what does that mean? What is the will of God? I'm going to simplify it. The will of God 
And, and well, let's just think of the word will first. Will means choice. So God has chosen to provide a way to bridge the gap from heaven to earth, from God to man. He has chosen to do that. That is his will. And the means of that wasn't something overbearing or demanding. It was simply he sent his son Jesus to be a living embodiment of the, now hear this, of the connecting the, the, the conduit between heaven and earth, between man and God, is love expressed in Christ. So the will of God, he has chosen to love us. And in creating us, he somehow and, and mysteriously did this. He gave us the opportunity to choose as well. And the most important choice we make is whether or not we are going to align our lives with the will of God, meaning to respond to his love. So I, I know there is, there is more to the will of God than that, but I think when you, when you really boil it down, that is what it comes down to, is God, God's will, God willed to love us and to give us the opportunity to return that love to him, but... That depends on our will. So when we are praying for the will of God, we simply are acknowledging that wonderful, indescribable gift of love to us, and we are responding in love to him. My will, my choice, God, is to love you. Knowing that you love me, even though you know all about me, you still love me. I'm going to respond to that kind of love with love back to you. Your will, your kingdom come, your, your provision, your protection, your will be done. The choices we make to, to enter into his love that he's given us on earth as it is in heaven. So there's that line right in the middle of the prayer. The connection from heaven to earth that we are always making when we pray, or at least potentially anyway. We are recognizing that God isn't just way there, out there. He came to us. As it says in Philippians 2, in Christ, he became one of us. And that is our connecting point through Christ and faith. And then it changes into, well, it kind of comes back to provision in the sense of what a kingdom does here, the way I described it anyway. But today, give us today our daily bread. That part of the prayer, I think for most of us in this room, and presumably for most of you watching at home, is never going to be, or has never been, as heartfelt as the mother of a starving child on another continent. And it's not just her kid, it's every kid in the community, as far as they can see, people who don't have enough to eat, and don't know where the next meal is going to come from. Perhaps you faced that in your life at one time or another for at least a brief period, and I'm sure it was very distressing. But we don't understand daily bread when we throw away more food than a lot of people have in a week. And last night, Linda and I were um, grocery shopping, and... Um, we got to the section where the, the juices are 
the, not, not the cold ones in the refrigerator, but like, you know, apple juice, grape juice, cranberry, that kind of thing. And normally there's lots of variety and lots of different juices there. Well, for whatever reason, the juice was in short supply. Now, the shelves weren't completely empty, and actually we weren't even buying any juice last night, but we just noticed that it was empty. And I'm sure a lot of you had similar experiences in various stores where certain foods are in short stock or maybe wiped out completely, but you haven't walked into a store where there was nothing. Like, you're, you're going to the store with your cart, and people come walking out and say to you, oh, don't bother, oh, the food's all gone. That's not our experiences. That's, that, that's not our reality. We are so blessed. And so while we want to get the supply chain problems in our nation fixed, obviously, to keep everything flowing, but nonetheless, we have such an overabundance of these things, we think we're having a crisis when we're out of juice, or, okay, I can't get as much meat as I would like, or the particular kind of bread, or, or wherever else it might be. God giving us daily bread is an acknowledgement that the bread comes from the earth that God has made. Everything that we eat comes from the ground. And so does the wood that made this podium. The minerals that were mined for the metal for this gadget and even the amplification process to, to make this, you hear my voice louder, and the technology that you can be seen. Everything that we have came originally from the earth itself. And we can live our lives and take advantage of that and, and, and even use and abuse and hoard all the provisions from the earth, never acknowledging God, never thanking God one bit. So it's important for us to consciously and persistently be thankful for the food. I grew up in a family where you always prayed before you ate. Always. Many of you did as well. I've seen a diminishing of that in the last several decades. People don't pray as often in terms of their meal. Now that might be an indicator that maybe that means they're not praying often overall. Because if each day we are saying thank you to God for our food, the bread, the food, all that we have, the filled refrigerator and freezer, that gives us, at least for a moment, a more thankful heart, a more thankful mind, which then creates an opening to be thankful for other things as well throughout your day. When... God gave the people of Israel manna from the heavens, and that was the one time food came from somewhere other than the earth. God gave people manna from heaven to eat. It came in the morning. It came that it was enough to take for that day, and they were instructed not to, not to collect more than they needed and not try to save it for the next day. And yet human nature being what it did, oh, this is great, but I want to make sure we have some more in case there's no manna tomorrow. And what would happen if they kept it overnight, they woke up and that manna from the previous day was all maggoty and, and gross and you couldn't eat it. But God did provide a fresh supply because it was a daily provision from God. God provides for our needs 
day to day. It came from the earth and the earth rotates and the earth rotates on a course of what we call a day, a 24-hour period. Who put that in motion? God did. And the earth rotates around the sun and that sun brings us seasons and, and seasons where it's, it's time to plant, to grow, and to harvest and then for the ground to rest until the time to plant comes again. Who put that in motion? God did. So when we're saying, thank you, God, for the bread, we're saying, you know, the earth that it came from, the planet that it's on, and the sun that it revolves around, and the God who made all of that, all in that one phrase. And then it moves on to, it goes from from bread to forgiveness. And forgive us our debts. And here is the heaven and earth contrast again. As I mentioned, Food comes from the ground, and you can choose to be thankful or not. It's there. Forgiveness came from God. You can't grow forgiveness in your garden this spring. You can't go to the, to the, to the supermarket or Walmart or not even Amazon online and get a box of forgiveness. Forgiveness only came from God. Forgiveness is a heavenly gift in the person of Jesus to us. And so here again, we see heaven and earth coming together in Christ. But there's more. Like the bread that we eat and then the provisions that we have that we gladly and lovingly share with those that we love and even with the strangers. And then we do that every month here with, with meals for people that you know, need an extra meal. And even if it's just a, a little bit of a hand up to help them, or, you know, with budget for one meal that, that week, that, that's a big deal with people. And, and, and we're going to keep doing that. So we're glad to. Don't hoard forgiveness. Now, here's where the bread and the forgiveness come together. If we think of daily bread, and I'm sure that the, this audience of Jewish people, when Jesus taught this, We're thinking about daily bread, the daily manna that God gave our people long ago under Moses' leadership in the desert when they had nothing to eat. Manna from heaven that came daily. Well, again, what happened when they tried to hoard it? It rotted. Forgiveness is to be shared. Forgiveness is is not to be kept for yourself, like I got this from God and God's forgiven me of this and this and this and this. Oh, praise you, Lord, thank you. But your brother, your sister, your friend, your coworker, your neighbor, the person at church, whoever it might be, that said something offensive to you or did something hurtful, well, I'm not forgiven that. I got my forgiveness from Jesus, but no... Um, that, 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 that was just wrong, and I can't, I can't forgive that. That's, too, that. that's too much to forgive. That's like the manna rotting when you try, when you withhold forgiveness because it is meant to be shared. It is meant to be passed on. It is meant to be refreshed every day. And forgiveness isn't even so much the the center of this prayer, I would say it's the goal of this prayer. It comes down to your heart. It starts off with 
God in his vastness, glory, and he, he's holy, and he's in heaven, and yet he's my father, and he provides everything, and we want his kingdom, we want his will. And then he's forgiven us. Oh, thank you, Lord. You've forgiven. And help me now to forgive those who sinned against me. In this particular English version of the Bible, it uses the word debts and debtors. I'm sure you've been familiar with different traditions use either debts and debtors or sins and sinners, as we say here at Bushkill. At my other church, we use trespasses. Uh, tr um, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Of those three words, I actually like trespass the most. And here's why. When, when, when I was a boy, I lived in a country area and uh, although my, I, um, we didn't own the house that we lived in, we rented, and um, so we didn't actually own the house or the land around it, but it was, it was open. There was one house next door and a whole lot of fields and woods and streams for a little boy to explore and have fun in, and I did. And for the most part, that was fine. Even though none of it was our property, no one had a problem with it. But once in a while, I might get a reminder Paul, did you see that sign there that says no trespassing? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, you shouldn't go there. Why? Because it's not where you belong. Think of sin that way. A trespass is you're in the place that you shouldn't be, and you should know better. That's what we take to the Lord. We, we want to get out of the place that we're in. And then forgiving others means to help them out of that place. And, and, and they to help us. So that's, that's why trespass is, is a good word there. But whichever one you use, I think we get the essence of it. God forgave us. We need to forgive others. And then he wraps it up with this. And lead us not into temptation. Is God going to lead us there? Is God gonna, I had someone um, a couple years ago ask me that. Well, I don't understand that part of the prayer, Pastor Paul. Why, why does it say don't lead us into temptation. Why would God do that? Well, temptation, and here's the heaven and earth aspect again. Temptation is an earthly problem. A, a, our earthly existence, our, our human nature draws us into to go and trespass, to go to those places and things that we shouldn't be doing to and hang out there for a while. And God isn't going to tempt us to go there. So what we're doing when we say, lead us not there, it's like, God, I know you're not going to lead me where I shouldn't be. I know the places I shouldn't be. I know when I cross the line and it says no trespassing, I still go there. I know that's wrong. But I also know that I need to be led in a different path. So I trust you to lead me where I should be, not where I shouldn't be. So as I walk this earth, as I live this life, as I breathe this air, as I eat this food that you've given to me, Lord, help me to go to the places I should be at. So I trust you to lead me where I need to be, not where I shouldn't be, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, now here again is heaven and earth. Temptation is earthly. It's something that happens to our lives right here. Delivery from the evil one, you can't buy that at the store either. That's a heavenly gift. 
that we can be delivered from the things that, that hold us back from loving God, honoring God, and loving our neighbor. Now, the, the prayer that we all say here at church and is said by mostly Protestants <laughs> continues with words that aren't in your Bible. You might see a footnote um, that says, some manuscripts said, you know, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Um, almost all biblical scholars know that that was added later, like that wasn't in the original documents of Matthew. And, and Matthew's the only place you find this prayer. Um, it doesn't mean it's wrong, because what, what those words say in the prayer are true, but let me just say this. So th this is one area where our Catholic friends um, are more accurate biblically than we are, because they don't, they don't say that part of the prayer. So, <laughs> But um, what's important to, to see here is, again, where the prayer led. Here we are in our earthly broken existence, and there's God way out there somewhere. So whenever I pray, I'm hoping in faith that God comes closer. And, and, and heaven and earth are meeting in my heart, in my mind, in my life. And, and I see that in, in, in his kingdom and his will and his, his provision of daily bread and, and all that he's given to me. And then because the most important thing that God's given to me is something eternal, and that's called forgiveness. Because that the forgiveness matters now and it matters forever. So where this prayer leads us is from a distant God to a very personal God who won't take us to the wrong place and will deliver us from evil forever. And let me close with what Jesus says here as he basically comments on his own prayer in the, in the 14th verse, back to, to Matthew 6. He says, For if you forgive other people... When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It, it's of all the things that Jesus could have went back into in this, his own prayer to reemphasize, to think deeper about. He, he could have chosen... The holiness of God, he could have chosen God's kingdom, God's will, the provisions that he's given you, all very important aspects of, of prayer life for us. But what he emphasized again was basically what it wrapped up with, forgiveness. Don't ever lose that. Because if you call God holy and you don't forgive, it's just empty. Because if you talk about and try to promote his kingdom, well, you're not going to be very effective because his kingdom is about forgiveness and his will in your life. What's my will? What's your will, God, for me? Please tell me. And at the very least, the Lord tells us, how are you doing with this forgiveness thing? There might be some questions you have and Keep believing, I'll show you a path, but never set aside forgiveness, ever. It is how much of the troubles that we are seeing right now in relation to this uncontrollable virus called COVID-19, 
have gotten far worse because people are angry and have forgotten or have no desire to apply forgiveness into their lives. How many people are so filled with anxiety? It seems like it's because of COVID, but there could be so many other things that were precursors in their own heart to that situation that COVID just made it worse, where what they really needed all along is forgiveness, is to believe that they are forgiven by God. As I've said before, and I'll say it again now, forgiveness is not a side benefit or an add-on to the gospel. It is the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel. And every time we pray, we are acknowledging that the wonderful and awesome creator has loved us so much that he forgave. Go and do so likewise. Father, thank you for your truth. May your forgiveness grip our hearts and our minds in such a way that, of course, we're thankful to you. And then let us express that thanks, not just in words back to you, but with forgiving words to others, that they too would know that the heart of the gospel is the forgiveness of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.